Hello, everybody, and welcome back to So You Think You Can Fan and Reading the All Guardsman Party, uh, episode 10. Uh, I'm Greg Chudley, here with Sergio and Matt. How are you guys doing? I'm doing well. Matt, I need you to give me three facts about locusts right now. Uh, they are probably what caused the deaths of a lot of civilizations based around agriculture. They are also definitively what caused a great collapse in China during the Great Leap Forward. They're also incredibly interesting insects and very high up Thank on the, uh, the tier list. Sergio, can you give me three dolphin facts? Uh, they're rapists. They, they, enjoy uh-huh. it. they find it very, very fun. They uh, they can communicate through um, echolocation. Uh, echolocation, and they sleep with one eye open. But I think everybody knows that. Why did you start with the rape one? Why couldn't that have been fact number two? No, because I think it's important that everyone should know <laughs> that's that. Not a, that's not a fun fact. That's like how I described to my mom when she said, oh, we're going to go pet the dolphins in the Caribbean. I told her, mom, they will rape us. And she was like, you're crazy. And then she didn't look it up until after we got home from the vacation. She said, oh, my God, Matt, did you know that dolphins are rapists? Welcome yes, back to So You Think You Can yeah. Dolphin Rape. Oh, 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 wait, hold on. I do, I do have a more interest, interesting fact. Um, they, 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 they intentionally provoke and mess with pufferfish to get high on their pufferfish poison because they're um, resistant. See, to you could have used that one instead of the rape, but you chose not to. That's if still you're listening a, to this a podcast. mostly defenseless animal. Yeah, but it's funnier than rape. Because rape isn't funny. PSA. So you're thinking fan of PSA. Um, if you're listening to this episode and you aren't following us on whatever platform you're listening to us on, whether it be YouTube or Spotify or anything in between, hit the follow button. Uh, rate the podcast five stars. Follow us on our social medias. Buy our merch. Maybe. Uh, we have a lovely like shirt. Heart. Yeah, if you like us. Um, we are 91.3% of the way to 10,000 views. If we hit 10,000 views, we are going to open a Patreon and start doing other things. Um, maybe content for the Patreon. So if you want to know more about us or listen to us even more than you already do, if you listen to us twice a week, like we upload it twice a week, um, you can. Now, I need someone to post a link to the chapter. Because nobody did. I, mean, I would. I will kill a child with my bare hands before you make me scroll up to Bro, click just, on it. Just Google. Just Google. No. Alt party. It literally no, post it in fanfic links. Comes up. No, we're not using the fanfic links channel properly. So I'm going to complain well, that I've there's no fanfic links in, the in chat it. Because all Garzman party just has. It's just. It's just one link. Just right, I it. see the British dude with the mustache and the cigar. I see the fucking head crab zombie. I see the Go dog. Down to trust me, I'm a tech priest. All right, we're going to break order again. I'm going to start us off, and then and Matt's going to go second, and then Sergio's going to go third. This is this is a crazy episode. Everyone listening to this is going to be so confused because we're going to be so out of order. It'll be so weird. Anyways, when 
Sarge finally staggered back into the med bay. He looked bloody exhausted. He pretty much collapsed in the first available bed, and at his request, we stopped the continuous loop of the warlock getting his head stuck in the wall. Doc gave him some overdue medical treatment. He filled us in on the situation. To start with, he gave us the official word that we'd been shot full of holes by an Eldar hit squad. Nubby fist-pumped and loudly started calculating what his and Fumble's share of the pool was. Sarge immediately crushed his happy speculation with the news that the Eldar weren't the cause of the attacks and had only been there for the Magos unless Amy could tell us otherwise. No one would be collecting on the pool anytime soon, and unless there was a second group of Eldar, Nubby's odds weren't looking good. Well, Nubby whined to himself, this discussion shifted to the Magos, his decapitation, and the tech priests. According to Sarge, all of them, even Jim, had a gear up their ass about something they'd gotten out of the Magos' head. It'd been like pulling teeth to get anything out of them. They kept falling back on the whole, we technically only have to answer to the Inquisitor, so get an order from him argument. In the end... They were all willing to, all they were willing to part with was that the Magos had been chasing a piece of Archaeotech and attracted to the Xeno territory. He'd in, intercepted some reports that confirmed that the nature of the Archaeotech and the heresies the Xenos had committed on it. He then sent the report to the proper authorities and was still tracking the Archaeotech when he was killed by the vile Eldar. Finally, the nature of the tech was for not for us to know, but it would, but it would, it would not cause the sort of disappearances we'd seen. I don't know why that stun locked me. We should turn our investigations elsewhere. The priest had refused to say anything more. The proper authorities had been notified, and the matter should be left to them. Further probing into the Mechanicus's holy secrets would be unwise. It had taken a heroic effort by the other two interrogators and our old diplomat adept to convince the tech priest that their warning was understood. The entire army of Cogboys had left secure in the knowledge that no one would be poking into their business and that everyone would be focusing on the completely unconnected matter of the disappearances. The second they were gone, one of the psychers had done something that made the room sound all weird, and the diplomat had asked for a show of hands. Who here, he'd asked, thinks we're looking for a piece of insanely dangerous archaeotech that's either wiping all intelligent life off worlds or is being pursued by someone who is unwilling to do so to keep it a secret. The eyes had it by a landslide. Sard said it was nice to be reminded that not everyone in the Inquisition was stupid or completely fucking insane. In the end, the working theory was that someone was hauling this thing from Tau space to the Imperium via warship. Whether it was to sell, study, worship, or use as a weapon on Imperial worlds was up to debate, but it was obvious that the Mechanicus and the Eldar were both chasing it. It was impressive that whoever was carrying it was managing to stay ahead of both of them. The fact that they were evading pursuit probably explained the semi-random course across the border worlds, though. The question was what to do about it. There was no way we'd back off and let the Admech handle things. Imperial worlds getting wiped out like the one we just visited was not fucking acceptable. The only options were to try and catch the carrier in a stern chase, try to predict their next destination and set an ambush, or go get some real reinforcements and try to lock down the entire subsector. Debates were had, charts were consulted, the captain was called down, and three possible destinations were laid out. Captain was in favor of getting reinforcements and wanted us to chart a course to the largest Imperial world along the border. Battleaxe and Sword Guy thought too much damage would be done before a response was mustered. She wanted us to try and jump ahead to a refueling way station that looked like it might be in the right direction. He wanted to head towards a nearby Imperial world with a rather untrusted governor that might either be the target or buyer. Sarge, who was barely awake enough to follow what was going on, wound up being the tiebreaker. 
When all three of his adepts had just shrugged, Sarge had fallen back to his non-com instincts. He stood straight, squared his shoulders, and stabbed his finger in the middle option on the chart. Sarge Lally declared that it was the only real choice, then retreated back up to the med bay, before anyone realized he just randomly picked one. None of us saw any real problem with this decision-making process. In the morning, or whatever you call the ship's lights, when the ship's lights jump from 10% to max power, and the Captain Blair's reveal reveal over the comm system, Sarge got around reveal. to briefing Amy. Reveal. She told a fairly unpleasant tale of wandering around the ass end of the sector as the Magos did his thing. Amy and her team had been treated like mushrooms, that is to say, kept in the dark and fed horse shit. That's an interesting metaphor. They'd never learned I mean, anything about <laughs> It's a good metaphor. Yeah. They'd never learned anything about their mission aside from the fact that Archaeotech was involved and had mostly spent their time getting shot at by over a dozen different groups ranging from gangers to planetary police forces. It wasn't some sort of giant conspiracy, though. The Magos just didn't give a shit. If there was something in the way, he throw bodies at it all day long. If it meant getting through quicker. He wasn't too particular about where those bodies came from, either. If his team couldn't handle a problem, he'd improvise. Amy claimed that she'd never look at servitors quite the same way again. The next-to-last straw for Amy had been the ambush by what she now recognized as Eldar. That had killed off the last of her teammates and forced a retreat onto the merchant onto a merchant vessel. The Magos had then proceeded to intimidate and bully the merchants into taking him on a tour of the empty worlds, but the no no one but the Magos is surprised that relationship had ended with the merchants ditching them at the first opportunity, hence the island. She'd been stuck there alone with him, as while well, him and the servitor converted bodies of her teammates for a month. The real kicker was the bastard had a sort of interstellar communicator the whole time he'd used to put in the call. He'd used it to put in a call to the nearest forge world, but it refused to contact anyone else after the merchant incident. So yeah, all that went a long way to explaining the hysterics and the head shooting incident. The end of the story though, was Amy had really no new Intel between obvious clues. Well, obvious for our adepts and that incredibly unsubtle warning from the cog boys. We knew just about as much as she did. Speaking of that warning, it had been awfully convenient that, that the tech priest had decided to give it to us instead of just saying quiet. We all suspected that Jim and Hannah had some hand in the matter, but neither of them were talking to us currently. At least a, a, as the least shot member of the squad, Nubby, and by extension Fubble, Fumbles, I can't fuck, I was doing so good at reading earlier, had been sent to chat with the jun two junior tech priests after they didn't visit us in the medbay when Nubby returned. He'd claimed that every time he'd tracked one of them down, they'd gotten these really nervous expressions and ran for it. He'd given up after Jim had locked him and Fumbles in a section of maintenance corridor. Also, if Old Bill came by asking why one of his techs had a massive headache and why there were reports of ghost war of warp ghosts on Deck 8 that had nothing to do with him or Fumbles getting tired of waiting for the doors to open again. The destination Sarge had chosen, which turned out to be the way station, was a solid week of warp travel away. After about the second day, everyone was tired of sitting around the med bay with Doc and his lady friend, so we moved back to our nice Gallerfield generator adjacent quarters. Doc complained a little that our treatments, especially Amy's, weren't finished, but we figured that coming down and making a few house calls would be good for him. He'd been getting soft being in that chair all day. Some exercise would do him good. Sarge spent most of the next week putting together reports and contingency plans with the adepts and interrogators. But... He spared some thought for Jim and Hannah. <clears throat> He'd interpreted the junior tech priest behaviors as a sign that their bosses were acting crazier than usual over this whole thing and made a note to keep an eye on them. Intimidating, impressionable young tech priest was 
our shtick, not theirs. Since sending nubby Twitch or Tink to watch them was likely to do much more harm than good, some words were had with old Bill and the captain. The duty roster was shuffled, and several unintrusive armsmen and engineers were assigned to do the same shifts as our cog bros. Might have been a bit uh, paranoid over precaution, but that's sort of what being a guardsman in the Inquisition is all about. Nubby and his partner in petty crime wandered around the ship a lot during our transit. Anyone with enough brains to pour water out of a boot could tell that they were planning to sabotage the betting pool in some way before their inevitable loss. But it wasn't worth doing anything about. As long as Nubby didn't egg fumbles into changing someone's mind for them again, it was about as harmless a pastime as they were likely to find. Amy, who was doing pretty well despite having bags of medical gel stuff taped half her face and one hand, had initially moved back into the quarters where her team had stayed. Unfortunately, those rooms brought back some unpleasant memories, and she was sure the tech priests were following her. She said every time that she turned, there was a servo skull or servitor working nearby. Twinch sympathized with her and offered a solution. He proudly explained that our little base was 99% servitor-free, the other 1% would be gone when he found a ladder tall enough to reach the chunks that he had stuck to the ceiling. She accepted, of course, how anyone could refuse an offer like that. About an hour after Amy moved into her Amy moved in her suspicions about the servitors were proved correct when the door Claymore gibbed the cleaning servitor. Twitch immediately replaced the mine and got another kill within 10 minutes, though that one might have just been there to clean up the first. Either way, they stopped coming after that and Amy settled into the dock section of the room. She became about as much of a shut-in as Twitch, spending her time between sleeping off her medical treatment and playing with the toy Tink gave her. Tink and Twitch's lives over the week generally revolved around our new barracks mate, Tink, who seemed a little lonely now that Tink? Why is Tink there twice? Typo! Typo! Amy. Or, I don't know who they mean by this. Okay, whatever. Tink, who seemed a little lonely now that Jim wasn't there to argue with him, had... Uh... Oh, okay, I don't understand. It makes sense now. I thought it was a comma, not a period. It's a different thought. New barracks mate. Tink, who'd seem a little lonely... Now that Jim was near to argue with him, had fixed Spot's chassis and replaced its servo grok skull disguise before the end of the second day. After that, he went back to work on Zeno's pulse rifle camouflage project and seized on Amy as a guinea pig. She was in the market for a new weapon, after all, and it was so much easier to cram a pulse rifle into a long-lost chassis than a regular las guns. They spent quite a while blowing holes into various objects and bad-mouthing tech priests. Twitch was just glad to have an actual reason to distrust the servitors and turned the barracks defenses up from 11 to about 13. Sarge called in, called for a slight de-escalation when he started putting remote charges on every servitor he encountered, just in case they turned on mass. Apparently, Jim and Hannah were the ones who had, who had to find and defuse them. On the seventh day, Sarge and the other interrogators put everyone in, on an hour alert and prepped the shuttles for immediate launch. The jury was still out in what we were likely to find when we came out of the warp, but if the target was docked at the way station, we wanted to neutralize it before it moved again, also before it attracted a bunch of angry Xenos, demons, or cogboys. The occurrence border came out of the warp at the coordinates where way station Alum, Alum, Alumentum Octavus was supposed to be and found the station... To be missing. In its place, there was pitch, pitched space battle. There was a pitched space battle being fought between an Imperial vessel and an unidentifiable Xeno ship. A quick inspection of the system turned up the missing station farther back in its orbit of the local star than it should have been. In fact, a quick scan revealed that it wasn't in orbit at all. It was moving in a nice, 
straight line, right down the gravity well. The captain estimated it had passed the point of no return about four hours ago and would start burning in around 30. You refuse to speculate on what sort of weapon or magic could just cancel an entire station's orbital velocity. As for the ships, our initial instinct to go help the Imperial vessel was quelled when by the captain. Uh, typos. I love typos. Gentlemen, You're- gentlemen, gentlemen. Mm-hmm. I have mm-hmm. good news. Mm-hmm. I have good news, everybody. Mm-hmm. The Rock Pikmin is fucking dead. Damn. Yeah, they replaced it with the Ice Pikmin, it looks like. Yeah, and according to the box art, Winged Pikmin, Purple Pikmin, and White Pikmin are back. Yeah! Mm! That's fucking big. I'm assuming they, they took the, the, the heavy lifting from Rock and gave it back to Purple. And then just made the remainder like the ice Pikmin. And they're like, it freezes water. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> That's all. You the can captain, continue. The captain reminded everyone that the only way the occurrence board would win a naval engagement was if the other ship were to spontaneously explode before it fired its first broadside. If it exploded afterwards, the fight would uh, probably just be a draw. Furthermore, the ship was looking less and less like it needed our help the longer we looked at it. It was definitely... A lot bigger than its opponent, it was throwing out a staggering amount of firepower. I'm sure, it seemed to be missing the smaller ship with every shot, but nothing the Xenos was throwing out made it past their void shields. Also, it was squawking stuff like one zero one zero zero one one zero one zero for chaos one zero one zero zero one one zero one zero across all. Oh. Refused to tell anyone what he was hearing. The tech priest it's on duty and boots had immediately declared them to be heretics. Then had left his post to go talk to the other cog boys. No one bothered to stop him. It was really looking like our best option was to just jump right back out of the system and head somewhere way, way less creepy. And that's certainly what the captain recommended anyway. Except there was the tempting little matter of the station. It was the only thing in the system those ships could possibly be fighting over, and neither was in a position to stop us from uh, taking a quick look. It was a stupid, stupid idea. And it is a miracle we survived. I was trying to figure out what the what the the enemies would be. I wasn't I wasn't expecting the dark mechanicum though, because they're kind of obscure. But you mm-hmm. know, I guess this is the place that would have it. I love how their name is the Hera Tex. Yeah, or the Dark Mechanicum. And so the Dark mm-hmm. Mechanicus. Come. Come. So they renamed to the Mechanicus at some point. I don't remember the the reasoning <laughs> behind it. But in in the Horse Heresy, they were called the the Mechanicum. The Adeptus Mechanicum, and then they got renamed to the Adeptus Mechanicus. I guess they can't come anymore. The captain had stubbornly refused to get any closer to the station. Is this one of them? Refused to get any closer to either station or fighting ships with than necessary. The occurrence border was positioned at nearly the maximum distance from the station its shuttles could travel, and sat there with its engines and warp drive spun up. The captain's words: "If anyone even looks at me funny, I'm leaving all you stupid bastards to die." With those encouraging words ringing in our ears, everyone boarded their shuttles and went to see what was so special about the way station Elemental Octavus. I said something about how distracting everyone was that we were cruising for about a quarter of an hour before we realized Jim was the one flying and Hannah was the co-pilot. The reunion was sort of spoiled by the little note taped to the cockpit door saying, the shuttle is monitored. Talk and move as little as possible. Wait for us to get the word. After a long and awkward wait, Jim finally came back and announced that we'd, he'd loop something or other and we could talk. Hannah refused to leave the cockpit, even though we promised Tink wouldn't do anything weird. Amy opened the conversation with a plight. What the hell is going on here, you metal bastard? But relented when Sarge vouched for Jim as the broest of cog bros. The explanation that followed was quick, obviously 
things while rehearsing. It's really terrifying. But just if it was the ship's tech priest or just antsy, they were on the edge of mutiny. Jim hadn't seen the actual data they'd, pull, they'd pulled out of the Magos, but whatever this piece of Archaeotech was, it had pra- practically driven his seniors to a schism. Some of the cogboys wanted the tech destroyed, and others wanted it locked away, and a few wanted to study it. The only thing preventing an immediate free-for-all was the fact that the thing wasn't here, and that the Magos had reported it to someone named Juris. The senior tech priests all eventually agreed to wait for Juris to decide and abide by his decision. Unless, that is, it looked like the Archaeotech might fall into someone else's hands, like, say, the Inquisitions. Less holy men, such as us or Jim, might see this ship's senior tech priest as arrogant, socially stunted, and quite possibly insane. But they were not stupid. They knew we'd, we'd keep chasing the Archaeotech and would allow us to continue, for now, but we're monitoring all team shuttles and comms. If any of us found information relating to the Archaeotech or its location, we'd been given a single chance to turn it over. If we refused, Jim and the tech priest piloting the, shuttle, the other shuttles had orders to cut our comms and return to the ship, leaving all three teams to cook on the falling station. In his words, the Magos Juris must decide this matter... Anything else would result in a schism. When the Mechanicus schisms, Titans walk and worlds burn. My superiors will see you all dead before they allow that. After everyone had digested this speech for a while, Nubby put on as weaselly a smile and asked Jim if he'd really do that to his old pals. The flat look he got back from the engineer was incredibly worrying, especially coupled with how Jim turned around and went back to the cockpit without saying anything else. So anyway, that's why, when we finally reached the station, our team decided to stay in the shuttle while others went on ahead. They could probably handle anything in there without us. Sarge loudly announced to the other teams that he intended to do visual inspection of the station. You know, for for space stuff. The other interrogators agreed it was a good idea, but none of us thought of it as anything more than an excuse not to get marooned on a rapidly falling chunk of metal by crazy cogboys. So it was quite a surprise when we cleared a corner and saw the Hera Tech shuttle already docked to the station. We managed to call in the siding just in time to keep the other team from blundering into a bunch of heavily armed servitors and a tentacly tech priest. According to Battle Axe and Sword Guy, the Hera tech seemed to be searching for something, stopping and doing creeping stuff to every cogitator or comm terminal he encountered. They decided that following the search party and seeing what it turned up was the best use of their time and switched their teams to stealth mode. We wished them luck and continued our inspection. Now, This is where some less imaginative people would have blown up the docks shuttle. But we were suspicious bastards. Sure enough, a little more searching turned up nearly a dozen more shuttles. All of them heavily armed, but dormant for now. In our professional opinions, 12 to 3 wasn't good odds, even without factoring in how much better armed they were than us, so Sarge decided to let sleeping shuttles lie and called in a warning to the ground teams, advising them not to engage. Battleaxe interrupted and asked him to repeat the message. It was hard to hear over all the shooting! Luckily, Sarge's facepalm turned out to be premature. Neither the ground team was actually involved in the battle. They were just watching as some third party shot seven types of hell out of the, uh, uh, out of the patrol. <clears throat> the question of who the heretics were fighting was answered by the sight of a familiar las cannon beam stabbing out of the station hall just a short distance away. Amy summed up everyone's opinion. 
opinion of this development with an incredible streak of swearing. Different people are curious about different things. Sword Guy was wondering what sort of convoluted plot the Eldar were running. Battle Axe was curious about what the Heretech was looking for in the commentators. Our team didn't worry about that sort of complex bullshit. We just wanted to know how the Eldar had gone onto the station because we sure as hell didn't see any other shuttles out here. Thanks to the Adas, we all knew the pointy-eared bastards like to use fancy-hitting teleporting web dealies to get around. That's not the sort of thing you find tucked into the corner of a human way station. Either their teleporters had a range from where their ship was, duking it out with the heretics, which Jim claimed was incredibly unlikely, or someone was trying to be sneaky. Guardsmen don't like it when other people are sneaky. It typically ends us with us getting shot in the back, so we decided to take a harder look at the station. Since we didn't want to alert anyone to our presence out here, our moderately untrustworthy pilots did what they called a passive scan. We understood this to be the equivalent of looking real hard at something, but not going so far as to throw a rock at it to check the mines. Unfortunately, while it didn't blow our cover, it also didn't turn up anything. Sarge was debating ordering some figurative rock throwing. When Tick announced it was time to use some real scanners built by real scientists. Jim hastily leaned out and tapped his You Are Being Monitored sign before Tink finished pulling off Spot's skulls. Sorry, I got interrupted. Um, there was an awkward sort of pantomimed argument in which Jim managed to convey that he couldn't turn the cameras off again, and Tink managed to convey that Jim was a colossal metal asshole. In the end, Tink wound up putting his vo- putting on his void helmet and stepping out of the lock with his drone before pulling off its disguise. Since no one had anything better to do, that cake does smell really good, we all clustered around the little airlock window and tried to watch over Tink's shoulder. Wasn't very interesting. All we could see was him poking at his Xeno data slate and muttering to himself. The real action was was happening down below us, where the drone engaged its stealth field and started taking some very close looks at the station and shuttles. Whether it was due to Tink having a bit of experience looking for Eldar with his drone, or just pure dumb luck, or because Tau drone tech was really that good, he found a shuttle that was not like the others in just under five minutes. This did not please the gym who had to endure Tank making faces at him through the cockpit window as he relayed the drone's data. What appeared to be a fairly standard, if gruesomely decorated, Imperial-style shuttle to our eyes looked like a bat-wing Xenos craft to spot the Wonder Drone. It had sharp, forward-swept wings with odd chunks missing and these weird mandible-looking wings under the cockpit, but that wasn't what really caught our attention. What really caught our attention was the two massive last cannons slung under it this thing just didn't just have our shuttle's wings, wing turrets outclass. It had us completely outschooled. Tink very carefully parked his drone above the Xeno shuttle, and a quick debate over about, about what to do about it was held. It says something about how shaken we were by Jim's little warning that we went with Nubby's idea. Um, that's a really cool attention to detail. Um, yeah. Of of the disguised tech for, um the Eldar stuff because there's a story. The second God's ghost novel is all short stories. It's a collection of short stories. And one Mm -hmm. of them, um, is a planet that is infested with, um, warpy shenanigans that is brainwashing them into thinking that they're on Tanith, even though Tanith got blown up. And then it turns out that it was all Eldar tech tricking them. And the reason uh, it happens is because their sniper um, was looking at one of the soldiers that they were moving with, and he looked at him through his scope, and he was like, "That's a fucking elf." And he like took his he took he put the scope down, and it wasn't an elf. And then he put the scope up, and it was an elf. And he was like, "Commissar, what the fuck? 
fuck. I only trust what I see through my sniper scope. I'm about to shoot this motherfucker in the head. And then <laughs> and then Gaunt was like, yeah, okay. All right. And he was Ta- right. Take it away, Matt. I'm <laughs> going to go eat some cake. So no shit. There we were. Hovering over a camouflage Xenos attack shuttle carrying more firepower than any three of our birds combined. And instead of running away or trying to destroy it before it realized we were there, we were trying to figure out how to fucking steal it. The long war voyage out to this backwater sector must have really rotted our damn brains. Quite aside from how stupidly dangerous an idea this was, it had absolutely nothing to do with why we'd come out here in the first frickin' place. In the station below us, the other two teams had just engaged the Hera Tech forces in an effort to take a captive and figure out why they were here. In space above us, two incredibly dangerous ships were locked in a brutal dogfight while our own completely combat-incapable ship nervously watched from the sidelines. Somewhere, across the Immaterium, an unknown Archaeotech device was cutting a swath of destruction towards Imperial space. And yet, our primary concern was nicking this fancy-looking Xenos shuttle. Possibly, while its owners were busy shooting up our friends. Truly, we were the pinnacle of inquisitorial professionalism. It really wasn't our fault, though. The tech priests were obviously to blame for this. If they hadn't been plotting to maroon us in space, we wouldn't have felt nearly so motivated to acquire an alternate means of transportation. When you combine that sort of threat with the opportunity offered by an incredibly valuable unattended vehicle, heretical xenotech though it may be, it's entirely unreasonable to expect the poor guardsmen to resist temptation. Securing the knowledge that our behavior was completely and totally justifiable on every conceivable level of sane person, we prepped for our breaching tools and formed up in our shuttle's airlock. Took it away, Cutting charges, which were carefully placed in the drone's little servo arm. When everything was in place, Jim, who'd eventually stopped trying to convince us to do something saner, flew us as close as he could without alarming any hostile shuttles. A trio of his little skulls were deployed and leashed like sled dogs. Then he departed us, he departed, and us drifting in space above the holographically disguised shuttle. All things considered, it was a very good thing that Twitch was up to date on his meds, and Fumbles wasn't feeling particularly nervous. The skulls hauled us across the gap as, just outside of our line of sight, the charges went off and the shuttle bay depressurized. As the last breath of air leaked out of our five-man, one-woman team zipped in. We crossed into the grab field and landed inside the shuttle with the weapons ready, just like the trained professionals we supposedly were. Well, at least five of us did. Whether it was due to her injured hand or because she wasn't used to performing these sort of shenanigans, Amy missed her mark and wound off careening off the hull. Everyone turned to watch as she spun off into space, wearing a blue streak as the skulls raced out to catch her. All of us were so distracted that we nearly pushed out after her when a gust of wind suddenly hit us in the back. Our squad turned around expecting to see then shoot some effeminate Xenos. Instead, a pair of scarecrow-looking things with fish heads were standing there staring at us. At least we thought they were staring at us. The damn things didn't have eyes. Their weapons were certainly pointed our way, though. That's what really mattered. Fighting in a vacuum is odd. Nothing sounds right. You can feel and sort of hear your weapons firing through your arms, but the shots don't make a sound. It's amazing how much you rely on little audio cues in battle. It was hard to tell how many shots we were firing, and even harder to tell if they were hitting. Oddly, it was almost as if we'd lost exactly 10% of our ballistic skills due to the unfamiliar terrain. That's weird, isn't it? We copied. We coped. We coped. We copied. We We coped. coped, though. And poured a tor- torrent of lash and plasma fire into the two hostels. Surprisingly, the fish-headed Xenos didn't seem too bothered by a barrage. They just stoked their fire and slowly tracked their weapons onto us, and then everything went funny. Not haha funny, rather, well, I can ca- taste the color purple with my ears funny. 
As the feeling washed over us, we scattered and a pair of large orbs appeared. One orb formed right between Twitch and Sarge, and the other appeared right above the now-prone form of Nubby. For a split second, we could see something beyond understanding, but not horror in the spheres. Then, a pop, with a pop that we could somehow hear through the vacuum, the orbs disappeared and took two perfectly circular chunks of bulkhead with them. We all just stood there and stared for a second. Then Fumble started screaming. None of us had liked what we'd seen when the Xenos had fired their weapon. Whatever those things did looked a lot worse than just getting shot. But Fumbles had a stronger reaction than the rest of us. The little psychic screaming ratcheted up to a shriek and then kept going until it started bouncing around inside our heads. Now, there are rel several relatively normal things that are a bad idea to do in a void suit. Vomiting traditionally heads this list, vomiting, followed by crying, sneezing, and a few other things, depending on whether your model has a waste disposal system. Uh, system. Anyways... If someone ever revises the list, using a, a psychic shriek should probably be added somewhere near the top. Now, that being a psyker, I can't properly say whether it was a matter of the shout building up inside his helmet until something gave, or if it just punched through his faceplate on the way out towards his target. Either way, though, we all felt a wave of panic roll over us, as the shriek was cut off by what sounded like a burst of wind, a helmet's worth of air, and a hail of plastic slammed into the two Xenos monstrosities, along with the psych attack, where their combined force did exactly jack shit. Fumbles landed on his ass, frantically clawing at his ruined helmet, radiating pants-wetting terror to the entire squad. Unlike our past experience with the Psyker's aura, this wasn't distracting, annoying, or disturbing. This was incapacitating. By all rights, we should have died right then and there, stumbling around in an attempt to escape a sourceless fear. But two things saved us. The first thing was Twitch, who shrugged off the aura of fear like it was nothing. He sprinted across the room to Fumbles, pulling off his explosives-filled pack on the way. He jammed the bag over the psychic's head and pulled its drawstrings, causing the bag to inflate like an incredibly dangerous balloon. The aura of terror reduced in intensity as Fumbles' inability to draw a breath was replaced by claustrophobic darkness and the fact that someone was partially strangling him. The second thing was that the fish-headed Xenos were some sort of... Rodent. One of them fired a shot at Twitch, as the trooper sprinted across the bay and missed by a scarily small margin. The other casually walked up the open hole in the bay and just sort of vacantly stared out of it. It didn't stop to shoot anyone on the way, or even try to step on Nubby, who was lying half a meter from where it stopped. It was definitely one of the more bizarre things we'd seen on a battlefield, or it would have been if we'd been in any condition to see anything... As the aura faded and we acclimated to the unusual feeling of someone else's terror raging through our minds, everyone got to their feet. We were greeted by the sight of one Xenos reading his insanity orb cannon for another shot, and the other spacing out at the edge of the hole we'd entered through. This is where your normal group of heroic badasses would have opened fire in an effort to kill the Xenos before they could fire again. We didn't even try that. See, our attacks, plasma and hotshot lasgun alike, hadn't so much as phased these assholes. It was time to try something new. Sarge shouted his orders and threw himself at the Xenos' cannon, grabbing onto it like a big disgruntled monkey hanging from a branch. To Sarge's dismay, the fish head turned out to be more than strong enough to hold up both him and the weapon. Luckily, the way Sarge was flailing around completely spoiled the Xenos' aim. The next hell orb appeared in the middle of the, the base floor. While Sarge kept his target off our backs, the rest turned to one near the hole. Tink and Twitch stepped backward, lowered their heads, and charged straight at the Xenos' back. Down on the floor, Nubby hastily crawled towards the hostel, then flipped onto his back. At this point, the fish head seemed to remember that it was in the middle of a battle, and started to turn to face us. He wasn't fast enough, though. Two charging guardsmen hit the Xenos in the side, at the same moment as a pair of augmented legs launched upwards. As body checks went, 
they weren't the best. Both soldiers were on the wiry side, and the best word to describe the Xenos' size and weight is hulking. Combined with the lifting force of Nubby's legs, though, it was just enough. In a sort of slow-motion ballet, the fish had tumbled forward right out of the hole we'd blasted into the bay's wall. Amy was being hauled back towards the shuttle by Jim, Skulls, and Spot, who she was riding like some sort of demented horse. As she neared the hole, something big and rather confused-looking launched out of it, causing her to swear and nearly fall off her mount. When she regained her composure, it was, she watched as the thing tumbled into the void, slowly spinning at it, spin, slowly spinning as it drifted away. When it didn't do anything, she dismissed it as not her problem and raised her new rival as the shuttle's interior finally came into view. Back inside the bay, the Xenos had gotten tired of Sarge dangling <coughs> off its weapon. It grabbed one of the struggling non-com's arms in a dinner plate-sized hand and inexorably pried I keep hiccuping. Pried him off its weapon. Sarge found himself suspended in the air or vacuum, as it were, facing away from the angry Xenos. He flailed as hard as he could in an attempt to break from its grip and failed, miserably. Sarge then grabbed his slung lies gun and tried to fire it over his shoulder. It was wrenched from his hand before he could get off more than a single burst. Finally, in desperation, he reached for his grenades, which were pretty high on the stupid weapons to use in a vacuum. List. Perhaps luckily, he wasn't able to grab one before his free arm was grabbed by the Xenos' other hand. Raised him in the air, then slowly, inexorably began to spread his arms, and by extension, Sarge, apart. The first thing Amy saw as she rose over the edge of the hole was Fumbles, sitting there and clawing at the backpack full of high explosives tied over his head. This was odd, but not an immediate problem. The second thing, or things, were that three of her squadmates were running around like idiots and screaming about not being able to get a clear shot. The third thing was that her new boss was being pulled apart like a wishbone by a three-meter-tall Xenos. Amy sighted her rifle, waited for a beat for Zarge's legs to swing out of the way, and then put a burst of plasma right through the monstrosity's shoulder. In a perfect universe, the fish head's arm would have fallen off, then Sarge would have beat it around the head and neck with its own severed limb. Unfortunately, in our reality, the arm just went limp while the hand still retained its vice-like grip on Sarge. Also, both of Sarge's shoulders were dislocated and he was too busy screaming to beat anyone around the anything with anything else. We tried not to let our disappointment show as Sarge merely flopped to the side and left us a clear shot at the Xenos. Three hotshot lasguns, a plasma gun, and a pulse rifle poured precision fire into the Xenos' thin middle section. The combined weight of fire did what our earlier barrages could not, and with a soundless snap, the bastard collapsed in two separate pieces. Sarge swore loudly as he landed and informed everyone that the Xenos' grip was not getting any looser. Since the fish head seemed rather hard to kill, most things lose their spunk after being cut in half, you know. Everyone stepped forward and concentrated their fire on its shoulders. That finally did the trick, and we pulled Sarge free. It took a while to pry the severed arms off of his wrists, though. Talk about a death grip. We all stood there, contemplating our success and wondering what oh to do God, about Sarge's shoulders. Oh my god, I love death shoulders. grips. When Fumbles finally caught our attention, his calm wasn't functional, and we couldn't hear him, but he managed to send a very rough psychic image out. He was wondering if the fight was over, and, we could, and if we could go somewhere with air now. The bag was nice and all, but he was pretty sure at least one of the mines in there was armed. Twitch winced then. He and Tink had got to work on the door that the two fish heads had come through. They had to push the Xenos' severed torso out of the way to get access. It didn't do anything when Tink kicked it, but it somehow managed to glare reproachfully despite not having eyes. Or any real face for that matter at all. Uh, 
While the more technical side of the team got the door open, Jim's Mediskull floated in and took a look at Sarge. It sort of poked around in a confused manner, probably trying to figure out how to get at Sarge Sarge's soldiers. After a while, its little machine spirit much appreciated the decision, because it deployed a syringe and tried to jab Sarge with it. The puncture-proof void suit turned out to be stronger than the skull expected. After a bit of straining, it broke the needle and whacked into Sarge's shoulder, triggering an impressive amount of cursing. The Mediskull got even more agitated at this failure and deployed its little circular saw, the one we last used to seen it used to decapitate the mangoes. None of us really knew it, knew if it had decided to harvest Sarge's head or just wanted to cut through his void suit while he was in a vacuum so it could deliver the painkiller shot. Either way, Nubby and Amy fended the skull off with the butts of their weapons until the door was finally open. Jim was very apologetic about the whole thing, but we still didn't let the skull follow us into the pressurized section of the shuttle. Once the door was closed and Twitch had carefully removed the bag of explosive in Fumble's head, from Fumbles' head, we took a look around our new shuttle. The room where we'd fought the fish heads had been a moderately roomy troop compartment. Nothing interesting in there. This room was definitely some sort of command center. It wasn't filled with box units, cogitators, or random uninsulated wires like an Imperial command center, but the hollow thingy displaying the map of the station in the middle of the room was a dead giveaway. Despite its tasteful decor and abundance of private air, the command room made us uneasy. It is a short hallway leading to the shuttle's cockpit, but none of the Sony hatches connected to the station. In fact, the only exit we'd seen was one on the rear, and it, had been, it hadn't been connected to anything. The question of how the Xenos had gotten aboard the station, and which direction they'd be coming from if they tried to take their shuttle back, hung in the air like a wet fart in a tank. Hard to ignore, and holding the potential to become a serious problem. From the elegant but rather uncomfortable chair he'd found near the map, Sarge reminded everyone about how the Xenos... I have the hiccups, and it's horrible. Please help me. How the Xenos were supposed to use teleporting webs to get around. A brief search of the shuttle didn't turn up anything that looked like a teleportarium or was particularly web-shaped. The closest we got was a Xenos rune that looked sort of like a spider. Twitch put a mine on it just to be safe, and then a mine on everything else just to be safer. None of us stopped him. It was really the only defensive option we could think of. While Twitch started the perimeter, Tink got to work on figuring out how to fly our new piece of loot. Amy checked in with the other teams, and Nubby called Doc for medical advice. Sergeant Label later complained bitterly about how many tries it had taken to, to get his shoulders relocated, but neither Nubby nor Fumbles had any medical training, and there was a lot of distortion on the comm channel. Anyway, the way he kept yelling was very distracting, and the second one only took two tries, so all his whining wasn't really justified. After the little medical procedure was finished, a quick council of war was held. Amy reported that the other teams were just killing a lot of servitors, not making any real progress towards finding useful intelligence. Jim followed that up with a report that the tech priests hadn't given any new orders, but claimed they were very interested in our shuttle. Based on all that, Sarge's vague plan was for us to call off the station part of the mission before anyone did something crazy and fly the Eldar shuttle back to the occurrence border. From there, the adepts, and possibly the cogboys, could search it for clues or whatever. The only real problem with this plan was that compared to Imperial or Tau systems for that matter, Eldar tech was almost impossible to understand! Tink was working hard and kept claiming that he'd nearly figured it out, but so far he'd only managed to turn the fucking lights on and off. While Tink tinkered and occasionally asked for advice from Jim and Old Bill, the rest of us kept busy. Amy watched the perimeter with Twitch, Sarge poked the hollow map, and Nubby and Fumbles were assigned prisoner duty. Prisoner in this case meaning the several Xenos torso, uh, tosos. 
torsos. They taped the thing to the wall and at, Switch's, at Twitch's request, drew a face on its blank head so it didn't look so fucking creepy. At Nubby's urging, Bumbles was adding some embellishments to their artwork when a section of wall slid outwards and a tall, leaf, and very familiar looking Xenos appeared out of thin goddamn air. The Eldar Warlock scanned the room, then began to say something. He was immediately interrupted by Twitch shouting that a hostile had breached the perimeter and raising his lasgun. The Xenos tried to resume speaking, only to be interrupted again as Twitch asked for permission to fire. Sarge, who'd nodded off, jerked awake just in time to hear the frustrated Eldar sound. Foolish Mankai, you can't shoot me! I'm a... Then Twitch got tired of waiting and opened on full auto. There are times an inquisitorial agent, military commander, imperial diplomat will negotiate with one of the hated Xenos and discover that they aren't really all that bad. Then they wind up working together to fight some common foe, and a sort of polite but distant working relationship based on mutual respect is formed. That's not, this is not one of those times. It took the warlock about five, tri five tries to finish saying hologram. Twitch kept shooting him every time he started talking. When the Depolition trooper finally ran out of ammo, the incredibly frustrated Eldar exploded into a lecture on how holograms work and why it would be pointless to shoot them. He was interrupted halfway through as Nubby shot him, turned towards Charge, and reported, The, Zen the Xenos appears to be some sort of hologram. I don't think we can shoot him. Then Eldar swore in his fancy language and asked Sarge to control his ape creature. Whereupon Twitch finished reloading and shot him again, while Nubby loudly told Sarge that the Xenos was getting pissy. Things only went downhill from here. The warlock was an arrogant bastard. He tried to order us around, but none of us had even the slightest intention of returning to our wretched vessel or leaving matters beyond our comprehension to our betters. The diplomatic breakdown was total. On our side of the table, Amy had a serious axe to grind. Nubby was just nubby, and Sarge's shoulders hurt like a bitch. Everyone else just didn't give a shit. As for the warlock, he loudly, loudly declared us to be idiot children playing with deadly weapons, both personally and as a race. The Eldar had probably intended to either use his moral superiority to get us to leave his ship or cut some sort of deal with us. The problem was that he kept getting bogged down in pointless arguments, petty insults, and fit, fits of frustrated anger. Everyone, even Fumbles, was doing something that might have well been scientifically designed to outrage, out, to outrage the Prisizinos. To start with, Tink didn't even try to hide the fact that he was stealing the Eldar shuttle and occasionally asked him what's, what a specific button did. Amy only spoke when she thought of something particularly scathing to say, and while Twitch eventually stopped shooting the hologram, he'd occasionally interrupt the warlock to insert his own rather unique theories into the conversation. Fumbles, who was admittedly acting on Nubby's orders, doodled on the captive fish-headed Xenos. This caused a surprising amount of anger in the warlock, despite how good the mustache and monocle he drew looked. All that was, all that was relatively minor compared to Nubby and Sarge, though. Nubby, for reasons beyond all logic, 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 governor, had appointed himself as the Warlock translator. He shot it down, you know, or shot the holographic Xenos at the end of almost every sentence, then relayed its perfect personal interpretation to Sarge. Our fearless lord leader took an evil in the, 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 evil delight in how much has annoyed the Eldar and started only responding to Nubby's translations. It was childish, antagonistic, incredibly unprofessional, and all according to plan a plan so devious that none of us even realized we were a part of it. Well, at least Sarge claimed it was a part of his plan afterwards. No one was in any position to argue with the results. <clears throat> in his most cunning of minds, Sarge figured that the Warlock had us incredibly outclassed when it came to diplomacy. The only person on our team that stood even a chance of holding their own was the old diplomat adept back in the ship, but with the Cogboys monitoring the comms, 
Bringing him in was out of the question. Therefore, the only way we could possibly come out ahead in a negotiation with an Eldar, who probably had hundreds of years of experience talking circles around Inquisitors and the like, was to drag him down to our level. Now, the brilliance of Sarge's plan didn't end there. In addition to keeping the Eldar off balance, the behavior of the more eccentric members of our squad acted as a time-buying distraction for both Tink and the other teams. Every second the warlock spent screaming at us in incoherent, indignant rage was a second where he wasn't leading an attack on our shuttle or sniping anyone in the station. Admittedly, neither group was actually accomplishing anything useful with their time, but Tink had found 13 different controls for the shuttle's lights, and last we'd heard the other teams were still killing endless waves of servitors. Uh, well... At least they had the time. The incredibly uncivil discussion eventually rolled around to how stupid humanity's fascination with archaeotech was. Our race's suicidal persistence in trying to keep the current peace from its owners was going to wind up gutting the entire sector's ability to fight off the next wave of Tyranids. On top of that, if we somehow managed to keep it, we'd inevitably wind up destroying ourselves with it. Any sane race would have let the Necrons have it, or at least dropped it on some orc or Tyranid world that no one would ever miss. Sarge picked up at this piece of actually useful information. Then, when Nubby suggested his cunning new idea to drop the Archaeotech on some orc or Tyranid world that no one would ever miss, Sarge agreed that it was a really good one. The Eldar paused mid-rant to boggle. The incredulous warlock asked if we were serious. Sensing the time was right, Sarge told Nubby to shut up and promised that he was super serious. We didn't want to use the Archaeotech. We didn't want to study the Archaeotech, and we certainly didn't want to fight Necrons. Emperor, help us for the Archaeotech. As far as any of us were concerned, the Metal Bastards could have the thing. Yeldard sputtered and then asked about 15 different questions, most of which he answered himself. We were obviously too stupid to lie, and we must have already known what the Archaeotech was. Otherwise, how would we know? How would we? How how'd we know to come to the system? Furthermore, despite our appearance and behavior, we were obviously the ones in charge of the mission. After all, our team was the one in the shuttle as opposed to fighting servitors in the station. No one, no one correct these assumptions. The real question was the Eldar had for us is why we wanted the Archaeotech destroyed. According to him, the five other Inquisitors and Magi encountered, then killed, all lusted after the device like it was mankind's salvation. Sarge nonchalantly suggested that we were just smarter than them. The warlock shot a pointed look at Nubby with a finger jammed up to the second joint in one of his nostrils, then back to Sarge. Our fearless leader shrugged and adjusted that to less ambitious than them. Before anyone else could say anything to push the warlock back from confused to furious, Sarge made his move. He pointed out how we only wanted to prevent any more planets from being wiped out. We agreed with the Eldar, the Archaeotech either needed to be destroyed, turned over to the Necrons, or sent out of Imperial space. So he should just tell us where it was going next and we'd handle the rest. There'd be no working together bullshit. We'd leave as soon as we had our directions, and he'd never have to talk to us again. The warlock started to say something, then stopped, and started again, and stopped again. Finally, he let out a very frustrated sigh and gave us directions to an imperial world whose governor had just purchased the Archaeotech. The Eldar then told us to get off his shuttle before he, uh, he ordered his ship to disengage and let the heretics have the system. Data records and all. Sarge took a second to ponder this last part of the deal and asked Tink how things were going. From up in the cockpit, Tink announced for the 12th time that he figured out the controls and would be able to fly us away before anyone could stop us. He triumphantly pressed a few buttons, flipped a switch, and manually connected two wires. Once again, the shuttle completely failed to move, and lights flicked off and then back on. Sarge took the warlock. He could have his shuttle back. <clears throat> 
Twitch packed up his toys. Fumbles was given a less dangerous pack to use as a helmet. Tink was forcefully pulled out of the cockpit, and Nubby was told to empty his pockets. While everyone else packed up, Sarge and Amy debated the whole tech breach problem. It was eventually decided that there was no way to really hide the Archaeo tech's location from them. Luckily, Amy was able to suggest a way to keep the Cogboys on our side for the time being. Jim was called to pick us up, and over the monitored channel, Sarge reported the location of the Archaeo tech. He also warned everyone that a sizable Hera tech fleet was gathering, was being gathered to seize it before the Mechanicus could confiscate it. So maybe we should try to get there and secure it first. It wasn't very subtle, but hey, neither were we. And the Cogboys must have bought it, because everyone shuttles picked them up without any arguing or any ultimatums. Everyone was feeling pretty happy about how the mission had went as we left the Elder Shuttle, and in a fit of goodwill, Tink even pushed the fish head's limbs into a neat pile and left a note saying which way second one had been drifting when we'd last seen it. As Jim and Hannah flew us back to the occurrence portal, we looked back at the station we'd never gotten around to boarding. It was looking rather ragged. Its interior probably hadn't been designed to survive pitched fights involving anti-armor or energy weaponry, and the star behind it had gotten noticeably larger. We congratulated ourselves on not being stupid enough to board that death trap and watched the station shrink behind us. Right as it was getting too small to see anymore, there was a neat little firework display. We couldn't be sure, but the explosions seemed to match the locations of all the hair attack shovels. Uh, that probably explained what the Eldar had been up to. Our good moods lasted until Jim landed us in the occurrence border's main shuttle bay. We were the last team back, and the bay was a madhouse full of rushing people and horrible screams. Doc and his girlfriend were running around with the medical team. From the look of it, they hit quite a few customers, and Sarge detailed a few of us lend a hand. Surprisingly, most of the screams weren't coming from Doc's patients. What had first looked and sounded like a field surgery station had turned out to be something weirder. Half a dozen senior cogboys were clustered together in a far corner of the bay. As we watched, a captive heretech was brought off of the shuttle by some servitors and dragged into the group of tech priests. They were some very unsettling power tool noises and a lot more screams. And Sarge asked Jim and Hannah what was going on. The two engineers whispered to each other for a while. Then we said the tech priests were checking out the captives for serial numbers. Apparently, they can be used to determine which cabal the heretics had come from. From there, the tech priests would research past records of the sort of technology the heretics had access to, giving us a major advantage when it came time to fight their fleet. Sarge pondered the fact that there wasn't actually any heretic fleet. He then weighed that against how the screams seemed to indicate the cogboys didn't believe in things like sedation, or killing people before dissecting them. In the end, he decided that this was not his problem and he really needed a drink, or at least some painkillers for his shoulders. Better yet, a drink and some painkillers would probably take... Better yet, a drink and some painkillers and someone to take his void suit off, without him having to move his arms. And then, in the end, he had to settle for just the painkillers. Everything else would have to wait until he talked to the captain, adepts, other interrogators, and whoever the tech priests sent to vaguely threaten everyone. Sarge returned to our quarters hours later, looking like shit and still wearing his void suit. Our first few tries to remove his suit resulted in a lot of yelling and Nubby getting punted across the room. In the end, Tink wound up just cutting him out of it while Amy held a bottle of liquor with a straw in it for him. The gist of the situation was that the Eldar ship had disengaged and vanished after the heretic shuttles had been destroyed. The heretic ship hadn't tried to chase us or catch up with the falling station. Instead, it warped out shortly after the fight ended. The captain couldn't be sure, but it didn't look like it was heading to the same direction as us, and the scanners had been clear since we'd entered the warp ourselves. We were headed towards the coordinates the Eldar had given us, which it turned out to be the planet with the shifty governor sword guy, the planet that the shifty governor sword guy had wanted us to go to. Sarge said the other interrogator had been rather bitter over the whole thing, mostly on the account of how he'd been shot in the gut twice during the station fight. Battle X wasn't in great shape either, 
They had shed a lot of blood fighting off the servitors and capturing two heretics for interrogation. Tensions were rather high due to the, the way the tech priests had seized those hard-won prisoners and vivisected them. The Cogboys were not very apologetic for this, but they at least shared their info with the, on this particular group of heretics with the rest of us. The adepts were chewing through it and would be putting together some sort of combat plans and stuff like that during the trip. The other info Sergeant relayed from the Warlock hadn't gone over too well. To start with, everyone but the tech priest had given Sarge grief for not getting any, getting the actual details of the Archaeotech from the Eldar. He'd very politely told them where they could shove their complaints and then moved on to the matter of who was probably purging planets. The revelation that it was Necrons chasing the Archaeotech, or at least that the Eldar said it was the Necrons, had quieted everyone down. While it had been the smart bet in the pool ever since we'd learned this was all about a piece of Archaeotech, having it confirmed was... Uh, fairly unpleasant. None of the other teams had fought them before, but between their training and the stories everyone had heard, they didn't need to tell us. They didn't need us to tell them the Necrons were bad news. The captain had reiterated his suggestion that we go somewhere safe and request an entire fleet's worth of backup. Most of us thought that sounded like a really great idea. Unfortunately, Sarge and the other interrogators thought otherwise. They believed that if we got there fast enough, we could do something to prevent Necrons from wiping out the planet and keep the Heretech fleet, which Sarge now regretted making up, from getting the Archaeotech. Of course, the exact details of what we do were still a bit fuzzy. The interrogators' only good ideas were to either destroy the Archaeotech or put it somewhere where the Necrons could take it without killing everyone. The Tech Priests had informed everyone that both those options would result in their grisly deaths. The most they'd allowed for would be for us to set up a perimeter around the Archaeotech and plant a bomb, which the ship's head Tech Priest would build and hold the only detonator for. All the interrogators, even Sarge, had wound up agreeing to this. The captain had called them idiots, and since Sarge wasn't in any condition to hit us at the moment, we all agreed. The one saving grace of the interrogator's plan was that being on the border and all, the planet we were heading towards had a fair-sized PDF and SDF. Between that and the detailed intel we could provide, there was a slim, tiny chance we could hold off the Necrons until reinforcements arrived, or the tech priests stopped being fucking assholes. Emphasis on slim for everything. Once again, we were stuck traveling through the warp and hoping like hell we'd arrive before everything went ploin-shaped. At least this time, we had a better idea of what was currently happening at our destination. The planet had a branch of the telepathica, and our astropath was able to keep tabs on the situation. The adepts and the other teams spent a lot of time sending messages back and forth, looking for clues of where the archaeotech was and all that. We didn't trouble ourselves with any of that. Someone would tell if they found something important, and for the time being, we had other stuff to do. Aside from the usual planning bullshit that Sarge had to put up with, we were able to dedicate our full efforts to some important projects. Okay, well, one important project, a less important minor one, and a bit of entrepreneuring. The less important one was replacing Sarge's last gun, when the Xenos, which the adepts had told us was called a Wraith Guard, not a fish head, had disarmed him, it bent his last gun like a banana, since fruit-shaped weapons had not to work well, and Amy's pulse rifle had performed so awesomely. Tink put all of his effort into co converting a Tau Carbine for Sarge's use. Everyone else was moderately jealous. The other side of the project was, of course, Nubby's continual quest not to lose quite a lot of money in the betting pool. Bumbles revealed to the rest of us that during our last bit of time travel, they'd tracked down the only three people who'd bet on the Necrons, then persuaded them to retract those bets. All that was left to do was convince the ship's quartermaster, who was the one actually holding the money and tracking the bets, to allow the withdrawal. Once that was done, there'd be no winning bets, and the money would surely default back to everyone. We left Navi to his little plot, which seemed to revolve around getting some incriminating pictures of the quartermaster. We'd be getting our money back too, after all. And that is where I believe we are stopping for the night. Yes. Yep. That was a really good one. I'm... 
I'm really enjoying the chapter a lot. Yes. Yeah, me too. I really like the uh, the constant bullshit that they keep getting involved in with uh, the bets and the the Necrons and the shit. The, it, these guys literally just have the worst luck in the whole in the whole universe. Uh huh. Although I guess they are now Inquisitors, so that's just kind of par for the course for them. Although Inquisitors usually don't get involved in all this stuff either, do they? Usually Inquisitors just inquisit. In, this is this is very much Inquisitor stuff. But Inquisitors usually deal with more Imperial space stuff, right? Like, they're not constantly on adventures I'm, like this every time. Well, it depends on the it depends on the Ordo. This is the Ordo Xenos. True. Their entire purpose is to deal with Xenos. So this isn't very far out of their realm of what they do. That's true. No. I look forward to the next one. I think we're all looking forward to it. Uh, I don't love the audience today. They need to work harder on their homework. I love the audience. Fuck you.